Section thirty nine of the Fair Maid of Perth or Saint Valentine's Day. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Fair Maid of Perth or Saint Valentine's Day by Sir Walter Scott. Chapter thirty four, part one. Threaty for threaty, fucked in Barreras at St. Johnstown, on a day, besieged the Black Freris. Went on. Palm Sunday now dawned. At an earlier period of the Christian church, the use of any of the days of Passion Week for the purpose of combat would have been accounted a profanity worthy of excommunication. The Church of Rome, to her infinite honor, had decided that during the holy season of Easter, when the redemption of man from his fallen state was accomplished the sword of war should be sheathed and angry monarch should respect the season termed the truths of god the ferocious violence of the latter wars betwixt scotland and england had destroyed all observance of this decent and religious ordinance very often the most solemn occasions were chosen by one party for an attack because they hoped to find the other engaged in religious duties and unprovided for defence thus the truce once considered as proper to the season had been discontinued and it became not unusual even to select the sacred festivals of the church for decision of the trial by combat to which this intended contest bore a considerable resemblance on the present occasion however the duties of the day were observed with the usual solemnity and the combatants themselves took share in them bearing branches of yew in their hands as the readiest substitute for palm boughs they marched respectively to the dominican and carthusian convents to hear high mass and by a show at least of devotion to prepare themselves for the bloody strife of the day great care had of course been taken that during this march they should not even come within the second of each other's bagpipes for it was certain that like game cocks exchanging mutual notes of defiance they would have sought out and attacked each other before they arrived at the place of combat the citizens of perth crowded to see the unusual procession on the streets and thronged the churches where the two clans attended their devotions to witness their behaviour and to form a judgment from their appearance which was most likely to obtain the advantage in their approaching conflict their demeanour in the church although not habitual frequenters of places of devotion was perfectly decorous and notwithstanding their wild and untamed dispositions there were few of the mountaineers who seemed affected either with curiosity or wonder they appeared to think it beneath their dignity of character to testify either curiosity or surprise at many things which were probably then presented to them for the first time on the issue of the combat few even of the most competent judges dared venture a prediction although the great size of torquil and his eight stalwart sons induced some who professed themselves judges of the thews and sinews of men to incline to ascribe the advantage to the party of the clan quhill 
the opinion of the female sex was much decided by the handsome form noble countenance and gallant demeanour of each and macklin there were more than one who imagined they had recollection of his features but his splendid military attire rendered the humble glovers of prentice unrecognizable in the young highland chief saving by one person that person as may well be supposed was the smith of the wind who had been the foremost in the crowd that thronged to see the gallant champions of clan quahill it was with mingled feelings of dislike jealousy and something approaching to admiration that he saw the glover's apprentice stripped of his mean slough and blazing forth as a chieftain who by his quick eye and gallant demeanour the noble shape of his brow and throat his splendid arms and well-proportioned limbs seemed very worthy to hold the foremost rank among men selected to live or die for the honour of their race the smith could hardly think that he looked upon the same passionate boy whom he had brushed off as he might a wasp that stung him and in mere compassion forbore to dispatch by treading on him he looks at gallantry with my noble hauberk thus muttered henry to himself the best i ever wrought yet if he stood and eyed together where there was neither hand to help nor eye to see by all that is blessed in this holy church the good harness should return to its owner all that i am worth would i give for three fair blows on his shoulders to undo my own best work but such happiness will never be mine if he escape from the conflict it will be with so high a character for courage that he may well disdain to put his fortune in its freshness to the risk of an encounter with a poor burgess like myself he will fight by his champion and turn me over to my fellow-craftsman the hammerer where all i can rape will be the pleasure of knocking a highland bullock on the head if i could but see simon glover i will to the other church in quest of him since for sure he must have come down from the highlands the congregation was moving from the church of the dominicans when the smith formed this determination which he endeavoured to carry into speedy execution by thrusting through the crowd as hastily as the solemnity of the place and occasion would permit in making his way through the press he was at one instant carried so close to Eachin that their eyes encountered the smith's hardy and embrowned countenance coloured up like the heated iron on which he wrought and retained its dark red hue for several minutes Eachin's features glowed with a brighter blush of indignation and a glance of fiery hatred which shot from his eyes but the sudden flush died away in ashy paleness and his gaze instantly avoided the unfriendly but steady look with which it was encountered turquil whose eye never quitted his foster son saw his emotion and looked anxiously around to discover the cause but henry was already at a distance and hastening on his way to the carthusian convent here also the religious service of the day was ended and those who had so lately borne palms in honour of the great event which brought peace on earth and good-will to the children of men were now streaming to the place of combat some prepared to take the lives of their fellow-creatures or to lose their own 
others to view the deadly strife with the savage delight which the heathens took in the contests of their gladiators the crowd was so great that any other person might well have despaired of making way through it but the general difference entertained for henry of the wind as the champion of perth and the universal sense of his ability to force a passage induced all to unite in yielding room for him so that he was presently quiet close to the warriors of the clan chatton their pipers marched at the head of their column next flowed the well-known banner displaying a mountain cat rampant with the appropriate caution touch not the cat but i e without the glove the chief followed with his two-handed sword advanced as if to protect the emblem of the tribe he was a man of middle stature more than fifty years old but betraying neither in features nor form any decay of strength or symptoms of age his dark red clothes curled locks were in checkered by a few grizzled hairs but his step and gesture were as light in the dance in the chase nor in the battle as if he had not passed his thirtieth year his gray eye gleamed with a wild light expressive of valor and ferocity mingled but wisdom and experience dwelt on the expression of his forehead eyebrows and lips the chosen champions followed two by two there was a cast of anxiety on several of their faces for they had that morning discovered the absence of one of their appointed number and in a contest so desperate as was expected the loss seemed a matter of importance to save to their high mettled chief mcgyle chattanock say nothing to the saxons of his absence said the bold leader when the diminution of his force was reported to him the false lowland tongues might say that one of the clan chatton was a coward and perhaps that the rest favored his escape in order to have a pretense to avoid the battle i am sure that farquhar day will be found in the ranks ere we are ready for battle or if he should not am not i man enough for two of the clan quahill or would we not fight them fifteen to thirty rather than lose the renown that this day will bring us the tribe received the brave speech of their leader with applause yet there were anxious looks thrown out in hopes of espying the return of the deserter and perhaps the chief himself was the only one of the determined band who was totally indifferent on the subject they marched on through the streets without seeing anything of record day who many a mile beyond the mountains was busied in receiving such indemnification as successful love could bestow for the loss of honour mcgyle chattanock marched on without seeming to observe the absence of the deserter and entered upon the north inch a beautiful and level plain closely adjacent to the city and appropriated to the material exercises of the inhabitants the plain is washed on one side by the deep and swelling tay there was erected within it a strong palisade enclosing on three sides a space of one hundred and fifty yards in length and seventy-four yards in width the fourth side of the lists was considered as sufficiently fenced by the river 
an amphitheatre for the accommodation of spectators surrounded the palisade leaving a large space free to be occupied by armed men on foot and horseback and for the more ordinary class of spectators at the extremity of the list which was nearest to the city there was a range of elevated galleries for the king and his courtiers so highly decorated with rustic trillage intermingled with gilded ornaments that the spot retains to this day the name of the golden or gilded arbor the mountain minstrelsy which surrounded the appropriate pibrochs or battle tunes of the rival confederacies was silent when they entered on the inch for such was the order which had been given two stately but aged warriors each bearing the banner of his tribe advanced to the opposite extremities of the lists and pitching their standards into the earth prepared to be spectators of a fight in which they were not to join the pipers who were also to be neutral in the strife took their places by their respective bratches the multitude received both bands with the same general shout with which on similar occasions they welcomed those from whose excursion they expect amusement or what they term sport the destined combatants returned no answer to this greeting but each party advanced to the opposite extremities of the list where were entrances by which they were to be admitted to the interior a strong body of men at arms guarded either access and the earl marshal at the one and the lord high constable at the other carefully examined each individual to see whether he had the appropriate arms being steel cap mail shirt two-handed sword and dagger they also examined of the numbers of each party and great was the alarm among the multitude when the earl of errol held up his hand and cried ho the combat cannot proceed for the clan chatton lack one of their number what rake of that said the young earl of crawford they should have counted better ere they left home the earl marshal however agreed with the constable that the fight could not proceed until the inequality should be removed and a general apprehension was excited in the assembled multitude that after all the preparation there would be no battle of all present there were only two perhaps who rejoiced at the prospect of the combat being adjourned and these were the captain of the clan quahill and the tender-hearted king robert meanwhile the two chiefs each attended by a special friend and adviser met in the midst of the lists having to assist them in determining what was to be done the earl marshal the lord high constable the earl of crawford and sir patrick charitas the chief of the clan chatton declared himself willing and desirous of fighting upon the spot without regard to the disparity of numbers that said torquil the oak clan quahill will never consent to you can never win honour from us with the sword and you seek but a subterfuge that you may stay when you are defeated as you know you will be that it was for the want of the number of your band fully contented out but i make a proposal for cord day was the youngest of your band each in macklin is the youngest of ours 
we will set him aside in place of the man who has fled from the combat a most unjust and unequal proposal exclaimed toskatchbeg the second as he might be termed of mechgyle chattanooke the life of the chief is to the clan the breadth of our nostrils nor will we ever consent that our chief shall be exposed to dangers which the captain of clan quahill does not share Draquil saw the deep anxiety that his plan was about to fail when the objection was made to hector's being withdrawn from the battle and he was meditating how to support his proposal when Eachin himself interfered his timidity it must be observed was not that sort of rooted and selfish nature which induces those who are infected by it calmly to submit to dishonor rather than risk danger on the contrary he was mortally brave though continuously timid and the same of avoiding the combat became at the moment more powerful than the fear of facing it i will not hear he said of a scheme which will leave my sword sheathed during this day's glorious combat if i am young in arms there are enough of brave men around me whom i may imitate if i cannot equal he spoke these words in a spirit which imposed on twill and perhaps on the young chief himself now god bless his noble heart said the foster father to himself i was sure the foul spell would be broken through and that the tardy spirit which besieged him would fly at the sound of the pipe and the first flutter of the brattach hear me lord marshal said the constable the hour of combat may not be much longer postponed for the day approaches to high noon let the chief of clan chatton take the half-hour which remains to find if he can a substitute for this deserter if he cannot let them fight as they stand i content i am said the marshal though as none of his own clan are nearer than fifty miles i see not how mcgyle's catanach is to find an auxiliary that is his business said the high constable but if he offers a high reward there are enough of stout yeomen surrounding the lists who will be glad enough to stretch their limbs in such a game as is expected i myself did my quality and charge permit would blithely take a turn of work amongst these wild fellows and think it fame won they communicated their decision to the highlanders and the chief of the clan chatton replied you have judged impartially my nobly my lords and i deem myself obliged to follow your direction to make proclamation heralds that if any one will take his share with clan chatton of the honours and chances of this day he shall have present payment of a gold crown and liberty to fight to the death in my ranks you are something chary of your treasure chief said the earl marshal a gold crown is poor payment for such a campaign as is before you if there be any man willing to fight for honour replied MacGyles chattanooke the price will be enough and they want not the service of a fellow who draws his sword for gold alone the heralds had made their progress moving halfway round the lists 
stopping from time to time to make proclamation as they had been directed without the least apparent disposition on the part of any one to accept of the proffered enlistment some sneered at the poverty of the highlanders who set so mean a price upon such a desperate service others affected resentment that they should esteem the blood of citizens so lightly none showed the slightest intention to undertake the task proposed until the sound of the proclamation reached henry of the wind as he stood without the barrier speaking from time to time with bailey craigdaily or rather listening vaguely to what the magistrate was saying to him ha what proclaim they he cried out a liberal offer on the part of MacGyle Chattanooke, said the host of the Griffin, who proposes a gold crown to any one who will turn wildcat for the day and be killed a little in his service. That's all. How? exclaimed the smith eagerly. Do they make proclamation for a man to fight against the clan Quahill? Ay, Murray, do they? said griffin but i think they will find no such fools in perth he had hardly said the word when he beheld the smith clear the barriers at a single bound and alight in the list saying here i am sir harold henry of the wind willing to battle on the part of the clan chatton a cry of admiration ran through the multitude while the grave burghers not being able to conceive the slightest reason for henry's behaviour concluded that his head must be absolutely turned with the love of fighting the provost was especially shocked thou art mad he said henry thou hast neither two-handed sword nor shirt of mail truly no said henry for i parted with a mail shirt which i had made for myself to yonder gay chief of the clan quahill who will soon find on his shoulders with what sort of blows i clink my rivets as for two-handed sword why this boy's hand will serve my turn till i can master a heavier one this must be true said errol hark thee armourer by saint mary thou shalt have my millen hauberk and good spanish sword i think your noble earlship sir gilbert hay but the yoke with which your brave ancestor turned the battle at longcarty would serve my turn well enough i am little used to the sword or harness that i have not wrought myself because i do not well know what blows the one will bear out without being cracked or the other lay on without snapping the cry had in the meanwhile run through the multitudes and passed into the town that the dauntless smith was about to fight without armour when just as the fated hour was approaching the shrill voice of a female was heard screaming for passage through the crowd the multitude gave to her importunity, and she advanced, breathless with haste, under the burden of a male hauberk, and a large two-handed sword. The widow of Oliver Proudfoot was soon recognized, and the arms which she bore with those of the smith himself 
which occupied by her husband on the fatal evening when he was murdered had been naturally conveyed to his house with the dead body and were now by the excursions of his grateful widow brought to the lists at a moment when such proved weapons were of the last consequence to their owner henry joyfully received the well-known arms and the widow with trembling haste assisted in putting them on and then took leave of him saying god for the champion of the widow and orphan and all luck to all who come before him confident at feeling himself his well-proved armour henry shook himself as if to settle the steel shirt around him and unsheathing the two-handed sword made it flourish over his head cutting the air through which it whistled in the form of the figure eight with an ease and sleight of hand that proved how powerfully and skilfully he could wield the ponderous weapon the champions were now ordered to march in their turns around the lists crossing so as to avoid meeting each other and making obeisance as they passed the golden arbor where the king was seated while this chorus was performing most of the spectators were again curiously comparing the stature limbs and sinews of the two parties and endeavouring to form a conjecture and to the probable issue of the combat the feud of a hundred years with all its acts of aggression and retaliation was concentrated in the bosom of each combatant their countenances seemed fiercely written into the wildest expression of pride hate and a desperate purpose of fighting to the very last the spectators murmured a joyful applause in high-wrought expectation of the bloody game wagers were offered and accepted both on the general issue of the conflict and on the feats of particular champions the clear frank and elated work of henry smith rendered him a general favourite among the spectators and odds to use the modern expression were taken that he would kill three of his opponents before he himself fell scarcely was the smith equipped for the combat when the commands of the chiefs ordered their champions into their places and at the same moment henry heard the voice of simon glover issuing from the crowd who were now silent with expectation and calling on him harry smith harry smith what madness hath possessed thee ay he wishes to save his hopeful son-in-law that is or is to be from the smith's handling was henry's first thought his second was to turn and speak with him and his third that he could on no pretext desert the band which he had joined or even seem desirous to delay the fight consistently with honour he turns himself therefore to the business of the hour both parties were disposed by the respective chiefs in three lines each containing ten men they were arranged with such intervals between each individual as offered him scope to wield his sword the blade of which was five feet long not including the handle the second and third lines were to come up as reserves in case the first experienced disaster on the right of the array of clan quahill the chief Echen macklin placed himself in the second line betwixt two of his foster brothers 
four of them occupied the right of the first line, whilst the father and two others protected the rear of the beloved chieftain. Torquil, in particular, kept close behind for the purpose of conveying him. Thus Eachin stood in the centre of nine of the strongest men of his band, having four especial defenders in front, one on each hand, and three in his rear. The line of the clan Chatton was ranged in precisely the same order, only that the chief occupied the centre of the middle rank, instead of being on the extreme right. This induced Henry Smith, who saw in the opposing bands only one enemy, and that was the unhappy Eachin, to propose placing himself on the left of the front rank of the clan Chatton. But the leader disapproved of this arrangement, and having reminded Henry that he owed him obedience, as having taken wages at his hand, he commanded him to occupy the space in the third line immediately behind himself, a post of honor, certainly, which Henry could not decline, though he accepted of it with reluctance. End of section 39 Read by Elijah Fisher